Father, I thank you again just for your grace, for the opportunity that each one of us have to hear from you today. We pray, Lord, that you would just take our blinders off. We pray, Father, that I would not get in the way um, that you would be able to enlighten and encourage and strengthen and convict and empower. Uh, your word is amazing, Father, and we, we just need to hear it. So I'm not sure what each one of us need tonight. I'm not sure what verse, what word, what passage. But Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be so active that we would leave here just um, overwhelmed by who you are, your grace, and your love for us. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're studying Paul's last words. Paul was in prison, as you know. He was in prison often, but this sentence was a little worse than anything else. This was the dungeon. This was the, um, the bowels of the system. There was no sanitation. He was chained literally. He was probably with all these other convicts. There was very little light, and really there was very little hope. He was on death row. He would be killed soon. How did he spend his time? Well, it sounds like he spent his time thanking God, praying for people, and sending out letters. This was the only letter that we have, but that's to his friend. Um, Paul never forgot what his task was. He even starts off in this letter saying that he's an ambassador, that he is actually God's representative in this dungeon, in this prison. Uh, unbelievable perspective. Paul's very thankful for Timothy, yet if we're honest, as much time as Timothy spent with Paul, and as good of a church as the Ephesian church was, where Timothy was stationed, Timothy seemed to begin to wane. Timothy began to, to feel a little overwhelmed. Maybe the um, hardships of ministry were wearing him out. You would think Timothy was the one that should be writing the letter and encouraging his buddy Paul to get through. But it didn't happen that way. So here he is, writing this letter to a guy that's floundering a little bit. No one said he's, he's, he's given up. But things aren't just going well. The church, the church at Ephesus, seems to need some reminders here. The things that Paul is telling Timothy, to be quite honest, they're pretty rudimentary in some ways. They're very, very basic. Why would you have to tell a church that is so mature, so unbelievably on fire, some of these basic, rudimentary truths? But really, that's where the Apostle Paul goes. He starts off with Timothy, and he says, Hey, I want to remind you, you have a gift. Fan into flame that gift. Don't you let that go aside. Keep it hot. In fact, the way that I think it's better translated is, is whatever you've got, keep using it. Timothy, it's important. He also said, don't forget the spirit. And we went over and showed you some diagrams of the two circles and how important it is for us to be able to stay connected with God, to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, to convict us, to teach us, and that so many of us get discouraged realistically because we're living life apart from the Spirit. We are doing good things, but we're going home exhausted. We are saying right things, but we're not seeing a whole lot of fruit. We're putting in our time, but, you know, it just seems to be a struggle. And ministry is hard enough when you are walking with God and you are connected to the Spirit because the enemy is just, you know, it's a full front frontal attack, to be quite honest. The enemy never wants any fruit. The enemy always wants to bring discouragement. The enemy is always going to bring up your past. These are all things the enemy does. But Paul's just saying this. He goes, you've got amazing gifts. Use it. Secondly, you've got the Spirit. Make sure that you are in tune with the Spirit. Then he says, I want you to be courageous and faithful and unashamed of the gospel, which we're going to talk a little bit about today because we're going to get into grace. And I want you to be unashamed of me. 
a minister of the gospel. I know I'm in prison, but I'm in prison actually for a good reason. <laughs> I'm not in prison because I'm really a convict. I'm in prison because I'm following Jesus. I'm sharing with people what the good news is. Now, don't be ashamed of that good news. And, and we even talked about what Paul's um, mentality is about the gospel in, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power. It is the authority. It is the thing that gets me up every day. You know, again, we, we talked a little bit about Paul's scenario and situation. And, and he's at the end of his life. But what's so encouraging is that this man is still on fire about the gospel and about grace. We're going to spend a lot of time about grace. And, you know, the truth is, you talk to a a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old that's grown up in the church. Not many of them are that excited. And you could say, well, it's because of the pastor or it's because of the youth program or the youth pastor or their parents are duds or, I mean, you can just fill it in. But there's not a whole lot of young people that are just overwhelmed by God's grace. It's old. It's kind of like, okay, it's the Christmas season. I've heard that story before. I don't know how many of you have this challenge, but one of the things is I spend time with my grandkids right now, and some of them, well, some of them, you know, when they're three years old, doesn't matter much. But but now I have a six-year-old, you know, that I spend a lot of time with. And Joey will just tell me why I've heard that story before. And I said, wow. Okay. We're going to talk about it again. Because <laughs> Grandpa's stubborn and he's going to win. But, but the idea is, how many times can you hear about the cross? How many times can you hear about the resurrection? How many times can you hear about all the blessings that you have? You can read through the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. And you see over and over and over and over again all the things that you have. We've handed out bookmarks. Wherever they are. Oh, there we are. In case you haven't got one, um, we can pass those around, take them again. But there's 63, 64 things that happen to you as soon as you come to faith. Now, again, you know, it's kind of like living in America sometimes. We just automatically assume we can go buy gas. Well, you know what? You don't have that assumption in Haiti. You know? You, you can automatically assume that you're going to have electricity. You don't even have that assumption up at Silverbird Ranch. You know? But here you do. And you just go through, you know what? I'm always going to have a job. Or, oh, you know what? I'm always going to have heat. Or, you know what? I get hot water here. Or, you know what? Food is not an issue. I've, I've never, I, you know, I've never wondered where my next meal is going to come from. What does that feel like? You know? And so we sometimes just assume this is life. I think it's the same way with our relationship with God. We just forget. Now the difference is, Paul didn't. Paul's on fire. Paul's in the most pathetic scenario, situation in life. I can't even imagine it. You know, we all value our freedom very much, don't we? I mean, we get sick for a couple weeks, and we don't like it because we can't do the things or go the places or, or enjoy all that we want to do whenever we want to do it. Right? We, we, we get upset. We get crabby. You know. Paul can't go anywhere. You know, he can't. But he is jacked. You know. I'm not saying he never got depressed. I'm not saying he never was discouraged. Okay. That's ridiculous because I think he was. But I can tell you this, that his perspective was very, very different, you know. And it's something exciting. Then he says this, be ready to suffer for the gospel. This whole book is actually about suffering, about enduring. We're going to enter a section today in chapter 2 where Paul's just going to nail this. Saying, you know what, this is for the long run. Now, some of you, as I look out, have a little bit of gray hair. And you have a whole lot less, maybe, of life ahead of you than you have, you know, that you've already lived. I get that. But the truth is this. As we look forward to what God has given each one of us, we have an opportunity to make an impact and to recognize that life is not about comfort. It just isn't. I think, again... As you've seen kids grow up, one of the main jobs that parents have 
is to make sure that life does not revolve around your kid. If you can help your kids recognize that life really isn't about them, that is a huge, huge uh, plus in your lives. It really is. Now, the older you get and the more you walk with God, the less you see it's about yourself. Absolutely. But Paul goes and says this. He goes, hey, I just want you to remember this. Be ready to suffer for the gospel. And he talks about the gospel. He says, God saved us. God called us. We talked last week about justification and sanctification. Hey, this is some amazing stuff. And again, we're not using fancy words so that you can, you know, put that on a resume. You're using fancy words because actually the authors in the scriptures use these terms all the time. It will just help you understand. Paul says that God showed us his grace through Jesus Christ. Some of the most amazing things, if, again, in my life, if I get less excited about Christ dying on the cross, or if Christmas seems to be just another little story about a baby in a manger, all I have to do is focus on who Jesus is. The Son of God, the Creator, and He said, I love you. I love you so much, I'm going to give up all of this. Even if it's for 33 years. I, I don't, you know, you can put in whatever you want. I'm even going to be 100% human. I am going to suffer. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to actually be a baby. I'm going to, I'm going to go through this so that I might be the ultimate sacrifice someday. You look at Jesus, you see how much he loves and how much he gives. That's what Jesus does. And as we reflect God, as we spend time with God, that's what we end up looking like. A bunch of givers and a bunch of grace givers and a bunch of people that serve and love others. He said this. He said, hold on to my teaching. Guard this truth. God's word is so valuable, it's going to come back over and over and over again. That's kind of where we ended up. Grateful for a Nesiphorus. Uh, excited about what's happening in um, at the church at Ephesus, but now we enter chapter two. As you know, my expectations are are pretty simple. Um, I've asked you to read ahead, so you have a little bit of an idea. As I either go backwards or forward in the book, I think it's important. Secondly, I've asked you to take notes. And thirdly, I've asked you to give away some of the things that you're learning, okay? Now again, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but I'm going to stop here just for a second because two questions that I ask all the time for myself, the groups that I hang out with, and the individual sessions that I have with people. Most of the time, these questions come out. And I will say this, what is God teaching you or how is your image of God changing? Now when I say, what is God teaching you? I'm not asking for some pithy truth that you know is just something you can stick in the back of your head. What I'm asking is, what is God teaching you? What are you being convicted about? What are some areas in your life that God's saying, hey, you need to pay attention to? And then your perspective of God. How is God changing? You know, if you have the same perception of God, as you did when you came to faith. I don't think you've grown. You know, It's kind of like, again, the wife and the husband thing. If you think you know your wife well when you get married, well, if you spend 45 years with her, my guess is you're going to know her a whole lot differently than you did on that wedding day. Okay. So, what I want to ask you is this. We just kind of spent one chapter... I won't spend a lot of time here, but if you were to give me either, how's, how's my perspective of God changed since we've been in this one chapter? Or what's a truth that I'll tell you has just grabbed me and said, ah, you know, this is amazing. I'm convicted. I'm excited. I'm encouraged. Anybody? If it's your first night, you really have a past, so don't worry about it. Buddy. Yes? Uh, point number four, be ready to suffer for the gospel. And, you know, I just have someone in my life right now who is going through a lot of suffering, but I see, you know, that person 
I have plenty to say. Well, I just think I was telling Ryan this morning, you know, I was reading about the farmer, uh, the hardworking farmer, and as the harder he works, the greater is his harvest. He receives his share of the crops. And then I went out for a walk and totally, I mean, I have been learning that God is in the details, every little detail. And then I totally blew it this morning. So it didn't take long. But, you know, as I'm walking, our next-door neighbor, who is much younger and much fitter, says, Oh, how many days have you been walking? I said, Well, this makes two. <laughs> in a row. In a row. Is, is two a streak? I don't know. It's my number. Thank you. And he said, Let's walk tomorrow. And he pointed at me, and, and, and this is a guy that have invited out and things like that and, and he is a pure he's kind of a seeker but not really because he's such a fabulous guy i don't think he sees the need he's just right. a fabulous human one of those things and i had my oppor opportunity to have you know an hour walk with the guy and i kind of laughed at him and said you don't want and i got into self-deprecation mode you know you don't want to go with someone old and slow and we laughed and i walked on and it's like you know, one of those V8 moments, I just totally blew it, you know, and, uh... Yeah, he's next door. <laughs> next door. So that's how far, he, I guess, one house into the walk, I still look fresh. <laughs> it, it'll come back, Jim. It'll come back. I, I, I'm not so sure you blew it, I just think... I mean, just the point is, I yeah. just finished. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Hey, let's open our Bibles. Second Timothy chapter two. Hey, yes. Yeah. He's in prison. Yeah. Um, we're preaching the gospel. Okay. Is it normal for a prisoner to have the rights to write, or is it because he's a Roman? Did other was that? I, I don't know the history, but yeah. were they allowed to do that? I guess you would think they would seal that off from his ability to do that. Yeah, um, this, you are right. It is not at all like the house arrest where he had even a secretary and, and he could be teaching and people could write things down for him. Uh, as far as history shows, and, and Josephus and there's a few others that have written about what the prison scenarios look like. Okay, there's not a lot of literature. But realistically, they were given minimal food and that's all that was provided for them. So anybody, that's why even he was so grateful for people to come and visit him. Because technically they would clean up his sewage. They would take care of different things for him. And if they didn't come, he just, you know. I, I would imagine they could bring him some paper or whatever. I could imagine, or papyrus or, or, it was not an easy thing. So the, and then they they'd have to smuggle a letter, right? They might, they might be able to just hand it. I, I don't know, but I don't think actually the Romans spent a lot of time down there. It was disgusting. Oh, I'm sure. I just always yeah. curious about that. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it's probably not a good answer, but it's the best I got. <laughs> it is. All right, Second Timothy chapter two. We're going to start reading uh, verse one. Timothy, my dear son. Be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. This begins a brand new section. Again, just let me remind you, there are no such thing as verses. Verses were put in about 300 A.D., and they're very helpful for us because always you'd have to say, it's about the you know, 27th sentence down <laughs> in this book. Or, or, you know, Psalms would have been really bad. It would have been tough, you know. But... Those are some things that have helped us. So these guys didn't necessarily put all the breaks in the right spots. Uh, but just a reminder, so pretend this is a letter. There's just the next sec section. Maybe it's the next paragraph or whatever. But he starts off and says, 
I think I'm going to focus on endurance and helping Timothy finish strong. Again, how ironic. How ironic. This should be the message that Paul has. But you know what I found out is that oftentimes the message that I give or the message that I receive, people are experiencing those exact same things. Paul is probably speaking the same truth to him. You've got to believe it. Saying, you know what, I need this. I'm going to also remind Timothy. I need this. I'm, I'm going to give it to him. Okay, so he literally is, is probably modeling this. But he starts off and says this, My son, again, he's, he loves Timothy like a son. He was not a son. He's probably a spiritual son. But literally it says this, Keep on, keep on, keep on being strong. This actually is a present passive imperative. Which just doesn't, it, it means it, in the Greek language, this would be a shout. This would be so unusual, okay? Because what it's saying is, you need to be strong, but realistically, you're going to need to depend on someone else to be strong. It's so odd. It's not like, be courageous, get up there, buck up, buddy, go for it, you're on your own. It's, be courageous, buck up. But you can't do it on your own. You need somebody else. And it's so unusual. We have no way to do that in English. Okay? But what happens, he starts off, and it's a command demanding that someone abides with him. It's a command that says you're going to need someone else to walk with you through life. But here's where it gets a little bit dicey, to be quite honest. All right? He says, in, in all your translations are probably a little bit different, but they go one of two ways right here. All right. In my translation, it says, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. Now, think with me on this. Paul is either saying, be strong or keep on being strong because of God's grace. In other words, in light of God's amazing grace, because He saved you, get up in the morning and be strong and live life large. He's either saying that, or He's saying, be strong in the message of grace. Don't ever forget the message of grace. Now I'm telling you, you cannot tell the difference by the, con- I mean, by, by the, um, by the language right here. It can literally go either way, and, and actually, um, many of the translations go different ways too. But in the context, I actually think he's saying, be strong in the teaching of the grace of God. Make sure that you understand God's grace. Now, I asked you last week, for those that were here, to take this paper. It's called Amazing Grace. And I didn't write any of it. Uh, I stole it out of a book that my friend Bill Giovanetti just wrote. Okay. It's a long book. I have no idea how he can write so well and how his books get so long uh, in that. But I actually just took it out. I gave him all the credit down there. And I am not sure if you read this or, or if you didn't get a copy. Uh, I'll pass these out too. Um, please pick one up and, and read through it. Um, if you want to get the book, I would highly recommend that too, however you want to read. Um, but, but the whole idea is this. Somehow the message of grace is so important to Paul that I think he's saying, would you please, if you're going to be strong in one area, I'm not asking you to be strong in visitation. I'm not asking you to be strong actually in preaching. I'm not asking you to be strong in shepherding. Whatever pastors do. I'm not asking you any of those different things. What I want you to do is be strong in the understanding of what grace is all about. Because I believe if you understand grace, everything else changes. And I'm not just talking about some simple little thing. I'm talking about understanding how much God gave us, loves us, wants us to live abundant living or abundant life. We're just amazed. Why would God continue to pursue us? 
when many of us act like an adulterous spouse. I mean, that's the whole idea of Hosea. You know, as you read that, if you read that story and, and God says, you know what, Hosea, I want you to illustrate something for me. My people don't love me. They are not faithful. So what I want you to do, and many of you know this story. It's unbelievable. Not only do I want you to marry a prostitute or marry someone who is so totally unfaithful, even when she gets really in a lot of trouble, I want you to actually go to the slave market and I want you to actually buy her back and I want you to actually marry her again. And he's doing this out of obedience to God, but he's illustrating something that every one of us actually fall in. We really are not that faithful to God. <laughs> but what's God's grace? God's grace is, Hosea, go love that woman. Hosea, she is really in trouble now. Go buy her out of the slave market. Because that's who she is. And God says, that's who I am. I am the God that pursues. I am the God that goes after. Now, Timothy, if you could just understand this message of grace, be so strong in this message of grace. Every time that you preach, talk about grace. Every time you visit someone, talk about grace. Be overwhelmed with grace. We mentioned that the Apostle Paul was overwhelmed by grace. He called himself the greatest sinner. Now again, we can debate it. Maybe you guys will stand in line too. You know, hey, no, 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 I'm the greatest. I'm just going to take it. God told him to say it. <laughs> I'm going to believe it. So he was the worst. And if he's the worst, God says, hey, I want you to write about 13 books of the Bible for me. I want you to be the greatest missionary on this planet. I want you to just kind of go to the Gentiles when no one would ever go to those Gentiles. I'm just letting you know. Everyone likes the Jews. I don't know. Actually, I'm not sure why. You know, they were an ordinary group. You know, but that's not what Paul did. Paul kept listening. He goes, man, whatever. I just can't believe it. I get to be a spokesman. I am an ambassador. I get to tell people about God's grace all the time. Timothy, I want you to be strong in the message of God's grace. Get this, Timothy. Understand God's grace is critical for life and for ministry. The effectiveness of his ministry depended not simply on having that call, which was in chapter 1, or those resources, even in the Holy Spirit, but in his faithfully using them in God's power and to God's glory, all in the context of God's grace. Grace is not doing stuff for God while bypassing the power of God. That's legalism. Grace is the unmerited favor of a non-lenient God. Now I'm just going to ask, because I think some of you did read that paper, just a little smattering of grace, and I entitled it Amazing Grace. We sing the song over and over and over again. And again, just understand the background of that hymn and why it was written. You're, you're overwhelmed. And again, if you have never read the story of when Amazing Grace was written, Google it. I think it will be well worth it. Okay? You'll love reading about John Newton and what he was and what he thought of God, and how come he wrote this, this song that we're still singing today. Now again, we have different tunes to it. I'm okay with that. But the words are amazing. Okay? Hey, for anyone that read that paper, and, and again, just kind of focus on grace, and just like Jim, maybe reading through this text, and hearing again this word over and over again, was there something that jumped out at you? Something about God's grace that just said, whoa, this was cool. I needed this reminder. I needed this kick in the pants. Well, was there anything there in any of that, that literature? You didn't read it, Sharon? You're my <laughs> wife. Okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, when it jumped out at me, it said, never quits. Yeah. Never quits. Never quits. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, let's face it. Every one of us, even with our kids, we say, okay, this is the last time. I mean, how many times have you said this is the last time? You know, and I don't even know what context you've said it's in the last time. But we're way worse than that. We are. You know, we have this idea, well, okay, we, we, we make, you know, we, we take two steps forward. But then we don't just take one step back sometimes. Sometimes we take 20 steps back. Okay, then we'll take two. You know, we're <laughs> but God is gracious. God is, again, what I try to share with people is as you look at God, don't talk about God's love and God's grace too much, Rick, because people then will, <laughs> they'll just abuse it. You know what, you don't abuse God's grace when you know God. You don't. You abuse God's grace when you're a legalist. All right? It's just like, hey, if I know I can get away with this sin because my God is going to be gracious and forgive me, I'm just going to go ahead and sin. Well, you know what? Go ahead and do it. <laughs> you don't have any idea who God is and what grace is then. You know, you are, you are still drawing a line in the sand saying, hey, I'm going to just step over it one night. I'm going to step over it one week. I'm going to step over it and I'm okay. You know what? You don't understand God's grace. Yeah. Um, as I read, I was underlining key yeah. phrases in the A through Z's and everything. But what came to me was, as I read all those things, it's like, trust that completely. Just know that it's there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There's so many words that explain it, but if I trust it completely, and I also kind of related that to this be strong. Yeah. Be strong, trust completely could be sort of similar. Yes, absolutely. In the grace of Christ. So. Yeah. You know, in anything in life, if you start to wane, if you start to wane about your marriage, you start to wane, and I mean, you can just punch it in anywhere you want. As you get mature, even though accountability groups are great, and small groups are great, and good friends are great, the truth is, every one of us need to pay attention to the caution flags in our lives. We just do. And we can either be idiots, you know, I have this large lump on the back of my leg. Well, I'm just getting old. <laughs> that could be true. But you can ignore a sign and then just go ahead and, and then all of a sudden find out, hey man, I'm going to die in two days because I just didn't really pay attention to that big old thing that now is the size of a grapefruit and I'm going to die. You know, I, I mean, it's like, okay, Rick, that's a gross illustration. I know that. But realistically, every one of us, if we start, you know, the God, what is the gospel of grace? Well, the gospel of grace, if I could put it, I mean, it's in John 3.16. It is the absolute key verse, maybe, of all the Bible. But God so loved the world. That's grace. <laughs> Why not destroy the world again and try it all over again, God, because these guys are creeps. No. God so loved the world that he sent his son, who gave his life. So when you read that verse, if that is just a verse, I would say that's a yellow caution flag. That's all. It just means this. If I'm not overwhelmed with that, if I'm not awestruck with that, now, you can try to make others, like my buddy Joey or someone else you work with, or your girlfriend next door, or your neighbor eventually, do you understand what God's grace is? And you just cram it. You know, Cramming down anything doesn't automatically help people understand grace. <laughs> it just doesn't. Okay? But realistically, God's grace is something that should overwhelm us. Sometimes we need a just a heart check. Sometimes we've got to realize how evil we are. Sometimes we've got to you know, make sure that you don't have to be, you know, the mass murderer in order to be really a lousy person. You can just be a liar. <laughs> that makes you a really lousy person. It really does. You need God's grace because without it, you would spend eternity apart from God. You would not have the opportunity to live abundant life right now. And you have really no hope, no future. You don't. Even if you have the most money and the most whatever... You know, if you have 70 good years, seriously? You know, you, you really think that that's going to be really good and, 
you know, when when you hit one thousand year in, into eternity, <laughs> you know, then maybe when you hit ten thousand years into eternity, then then you, you know, you think, yeah, that seventy years was pretty good. That was worth that was worth all of it. Yeah, no, you know, we deserve that separation. We deserve all that. And God just says, no, I love you. I don't want you to live that way. I, I want you to listen to me. I I'm the inventor of life. I'm your dad. I only want what's best for you. Would, would you listen to me? You know, one of the, the privileges that I have, uh, and, and I've shared this with you, I teach up at Nicolay Bible Institute, and the whole first day that I spend up there, I just talk about who God is. It's a class on spiritual formation. But I spend the whole day, the whole first class, just looking at different passages and who God is and who God is. And my theory is this is that these 19 and 20 and 21-year-olds don't have a very good perception of who God is. Because I can talk about all the methods, I can talk about all the great things on how to connect with God, but if God is not very attractive, (laughs) if God is just like this, God, or I don't know, whatever image you have of God, why would I want to connect with God? Why would I want to listen to God? Why would I want any of those things? I, I don't want any of those things. But the Apostle Paul, he goes back, I want you to be strong. What is the gospel? The gospel is real simple. God gave, we receive. Okay? We don't receive because we did anything. We receive because God is gracious. You know? How many times have we thought that we get blessed because we've done something for God. I mean, that's the whole, shall I say, prosperity gospel. You know, that if you listen to God, God is really going to take care of you and, and, and your life will be good. Man, it's just not in the scriptures. It's just not anywhere. You know, it just isn't. So the, the scripture, I mean, the gospel is God gave we receive. So I'm going to pass these tracks around. Um, this is a track that um, I kind of use most of the time. And it's not, it has no fancy artwork, and I did the printing. So it's, it's really pretty basic, to be quite honest. But what I, what I use it for is this, is that so many times people get confused on what the gospel is. My hope is, you can, you can look at these if you want to take one, you're, you're sure welcome to take it. But it's so important that people understand how much God loves and, and how much He desires that we don't just exist in life. And I think again, Paul went over and over and over and over. Now once he just kind of gives gives Timothy a kick in the drawers right here. says, I want you to be strong in this message of grace. I really want you to understand this. I want it to be part of your life. I want you to talk about it. You are an ambassador just like I'm an ambassador. It is so overwhelming. Okay. And by the way, that's evangelism. Evangelism isn't telling people how sinful they are or telling them you know, that God loves them and has a wonderful plan for your life. And I think some of those things have happened. I'm not against it. You know, I was one that went door to door and, and did that often. But I tell you this, evangelism is this. I want to tell people how gracious God is. I was lost. I was dead. And He saved me. That's the gospel. That's what I tell my neighbors. That's what I tell people that ask and say, Hey, why is God so amazing? Because, you know what? God pursued me. God loves me. God paid my debt, and I have a relationship with my God. None of that deserves. I now have hope. I now, I'm not preaching at Him at all. I'm telling Him what God did for me. And that's what I do. That's what evangelism is. Evangelism is simply sharing the God story and how it's affected you. And when you understand grace, it's easier to tell the God story. That's all. Because it's not, it's not about them. They're going to see that. I'm not afraid to say that man is sinful. I'm not afraid to, to say those things. Not at all. But it's not my job, again, to make sure that everybody turns. It's my job to tell good news. 
and tell about my God, who is so amazing. He will draw them to himself. Well, we start a section, chapter 2, verse 2. And I'm going to actually try to get through um, verse 14. Uh, We'll see what this looks like. But really what happens, Paul kind of switches gears right now, and he gives four illustrations of a faithful servant. Now, most of you will say, I know the three, Rick, where's the fourth? Actually, I think in chapter 2, verse 2, is the first one. And this, if I were to look at this letter and kind of put it in perspective, Paul's in prison, and he's saying this, I want you to be strong in God's grace, and let me describe to you what a faithful pastor, what a faithful servant, what a faithful God follower really looks like now. Someone who's overwhelmed with God's grace... This is what I would see is important. Okay? And he starts here. Look at verse 2. You have heard me teach. That's why I think, actually, if you look at the context and the flow, that's why I think it's be strong in the grace message versus be strong, you know, stand up because God has graced you. Again, both things happen. But I think in the context, because all of a sudden he goes right into the teaching part. He goes... Hey, I want you to be strong in the message of grace. And then he goes, hey, you've heard me teach things. You've heard me teach about grace. Hey, wouldn't that have been, I I was just kind of thinking, wouldn't that have been cool to actually listen to Paul? That that would have been cool. Um, I mean, there's there's certain people, I, I would have loved to hear Charles Spurgeon preach. I've read enough of his messages and, and, and studied his prayers. Can that guy pray? Holy schmoly, you know. And so I, I kind of think of this, except he's so British and so English, you read his stuff, it's so hard to like imagine. Like, for with thou so that. Okay, I guess that's not that much of an impact, but, but and of course, you know, Paul would speak in Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew, so I wouldn't know that either, you know, he'd be speaking over. But I would, I would just imagine what this looks like. And he says this, you heard me teach, Paul, again, probably spent more time with Timothy than anyone else. All right. And these things have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now, teach these truths. And that's a word I'd like you to, to, at least in our study, keep being reminded of. Truths. What truth do you need today? What truth is God giving you? What truth is going to transform your life? I think that's an excellent way to look at doctrine and scriptures and so on. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Again, what a key verse. It's a key verse of the Navigators. It's a key verse of almost every um, parachurch organization. All right. And it's a key verse for every parachurch organization because it's a key verse. This is very, very important. But we forgot the first part that just said, hey, I want you to be strong in the grace message. Now what I want you to do is remember all my teaching, including this grace message. You've heard from me. You've watched me. I've modeled for you. And my words have actually been confirmed. Now, again, nobody knows who they've been confirmed by. But my guess is, remember Paul's circle was Barnabas and Silas and Peter and and Luke. Those kind of people. So I'm sure, again, Timothy didn't just hear from, from Paul. He's got these other warriors around, kind of feeding him, kind of encouraging him. And he's just reminding them, that's all. And he's saying, really, faithful servants are like teachers. Now again, I, I'm from a family of teachers, okay? There's, there, you guys all know what good teachers are. But really, a good teacher, if I were to explain it, is that they teach well and learn how to teach people to pass on what they've learned, okay? Again, a, a market, I, I always thought growing up in school or, or being in school is really simple. If I could learn something and be able to teach it, then my teacher or professor would know I knew it, you know? It wasn't what I did on a test, although I didn't always do that well on a test, um, or those other things. It was, could I teach this to someone else? this history lesson or whatever, I would have to know it well enough. It's the same way with the Bible. 
You know, you can read the Bible till you're blue in the face. When you have a little, you know, crew at Awana, and you're supposed to explain a verse, you know, to them, it's a completely different story. It just is. <laughs> and so, so what I am saying, he said, hey, you've got to understand. I want you to teach this. I want you to pass it on. Now, here's something interesting. That teach is, again, a command. And in the context, what Paul is saying is this. I want you to deposit something valuable for safekeeping. So this whole truth thing, this whole gospel thing, he has put it up another level and said, this is very, very valuable. It's almost like you've got a lot of money. It's kind of like a bank deposit. All right. I want you to deposit it in somebody else. Entrust it in someone else. This is so valuable. You know, I'm going to hand it to you. And I'm going to say, hey, this is valuable. I want you to pass this on. I want you to own the truth and pass it on. I'm going to give you another illustration. It's kind of like Timothy is running the second lap. Now, again, when Olympics comes up and, and you know, you've, You've all read books. You've all seen things. You, you understand the basic things. And even in Olympics, I, I mean, in Iran Olympics, you've got the sprint relay and the marathon relay. But the whole idea is this, is that you all have to run. There are certain rules. You have to pass the baton in the passing lane. If you don't, you're disqualified. I mean, there's just certain things. There's story after story when, you know, especially that 100-meter uh, uh, relay, you know, the 400-meter relay, when, when these guys or gals are flying around, you know, and they have this little bit of space to do it. You know, the fastest Jamaican team in the world drops the pick and baton. Ah, I'm sorry, you lose, you know. But this is the idea, all right? All Paul is saying is that, hey, I'm the first one in the race. That's what I am. Timothy, you're number two. I just did a lap. I'm passing the baton to you. Now, I tell you what, Timothy, the only way we're going to win is that when you do your lap, you pass it to someone else. And I want you to know, it's not good enough because we need four. Now, he talks about four generations. And seriously, we're not just talking about four generations. This just keeps going and going and going. But if you think of four generations... You know, one of the things that I was asked when I was in high school ministry, because there were, there were lots of kids and people making decisions, and people would ask me, Rick, this is a really good program. And I would smile. I'd say, maybe. And they would ask me, well, what, well, what do you think? What do you think success is? I'll tell you what success is. Success is that this high school kid grows up, and he has a family and he passes on what he has learned to his kids, who then grow up and pass on what they learn to their kids. That's actually what success is. Well, how do you know that? I don't know. I'm going to be long gone. I'll be dead. Or another way to look at it is, again, everybody can get excited for the moment. But God talks about this all the time. It's the passing on of things. How do you, I mean, in the older days, you know, well before our transient society, you know, let's say late 1800s and even earlier, if you were a blacksmith, you were a blacksmith. And, and you were taught by your dad how to shoe horses and how to make, you know, I, I don't know, hinges <laughs> and, and other things like that. And that's what you learned. And it was dependent that you learned it well because your dad wasn't always going to be around and you needed to do that business. If you were a dairy farmer, if you were a such and such, you had to learn and you passed it on. And that's where the whole idea of apprenticeships come in. You see, realistically, we need to look a little bit more in the mentality of apprenticeships in the trades versus what our college systems do. For the most part, our college systems is a Greek mentality where you sit in a classroom like this and your professor gives great words of wisdom and you go back and you say, yes, yes, and you regurgitate it on a test and, and then you pass and get a diploma. Now, some things you have to learn like that. But really, if I want to be a carpenter or an electrician, I've got to actually get this kind of class now Okay, and then I've got to go work with someone that knows what they're doing. 
And then when I don't pull wire the right way, they're going to tell me. When I don't twist something the right way, they're going to let me know. And they're going to say, hey, you know what, braided wire, Rick, you've got to put this around a terminal a different way than solid wire. I do? How come? Well, because this will happen if you don't, and this is what a circuit is, and this is why you need to learn this. Or in plumbing, this is what happens. You need a bleeder valve. Or in carpentry, you better do a, you know, this kind of a shim over in this. And you get all this stuff. And all of a sudden, you go like, okay, i got to learn this. And you spend time till finally you become a journeyman. That's when you get paid your 85 bucks an hour. Okay? But your journeyman, you know what they do? They have apprentices that are sitting right there watching them. We're now doing the work. How come you, you can be a carpenter at 60 years old? Because actually, you don't have to do much. You just let your apprentices all do all the, all the hard stuff. You just make sure they do it and hand it off. That's exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Timothy, I have given you a message, this message of grace. It's unbelievable message of grace. And what you're going to do is you're going to give it away. Okay, and then you're going to work with people and you're going to help them and they're going to give it away and then they're going to give it away. And you know what, Timothy? That's what your role is. Okay? Pass it on for four generations. Hand it off. And you know what's interesting? He says this. Pass it off to the trustworthy. I think every one of us know, and if we even go back to the trades, there are some people that really are, you know, all thumbs and have two left hands, and you really, you really want them to succeed, but it's just, it's just not going to work, folks. You know, it's it just like, you know, why don't you go be a bank president? Because it's probably going to be more up your line, and <laughs> you really can't hit that nail very well, and all that other kind of stuff. And you just own that, okay? It just we go in that direction. But realistically, again, I've used the acronym FAT. I look for FAT people to pour into. And FAT are faithful, available, and teach, teachable. Now again, that isn't always perfect. But if I'm going to look into a group of people or into a person to pour into, or to spend time with, or to mentor, or to apprentice, or to disciple. You can put it in. Whatever you want to say. I want a fat person. You know, I've, I've, I've been with people, and I think, you know what, today's culture is a tough one. Um, I think the number one sin of today's culture is busyness. I, I, you've heard me say it a million times. And I think we as parents and young parents are modeling it all the time. You know, we old people are modeling it too, all the time. But the, the truth is this is that if you look at what available is to most people, um, many will not make a sacrifice to be committed, to go into a relationship, or to share, or to open up God's Word, or whatever. Faithful means, you know what, they're, they're going to show up. I've got some guys' groups that are going on, and, and I'm telling you, some they'll, they'll die to get there. I meet with a group of three guys right now, and, and unless they're in a hospital or whatever, they, they show up. It, it is a joy of my week. It really is. Um, but realistically, you look at it. What does trustworthy mean? Well, it's faithful, it's proven, it's gifted, and, and it's people, again, that you will definitely need to be able to pour into because you want them to be able to give it away. You know, many of the times when I disciple someone, we get to a place, and I don't have it as rigid as I used to. I used to have everything all written out, and it would be all perfect and never work. But now I'm much more flexible and wise and, and so on. But the truth is, there is a certain point whenever I work with someone where I say, we don't meet again until you find someone you meet with or whatever. And my bent is now not even one person. My bent really is meeting with two or three at one time. I'm sensing that that is a whole lot better type of relationships that, that happen. So I will wait until they pick up two or three others that work with so that they can begin to pour into them the same way I'm pouring into these two or three people at that one time. 
So again, this isn't uh, necessarily a form, but this is something that the Apostle Paul says, hey, I want you to hand this off to trustworthy people, people who will be able to pass the baton. Um, you know, it's an amazing paradox, but fully biblical, that although God is sovereign and all-powerful, He nevertheless entrusts His adopted children with each one of us understanding the gospel and passing it off. Realistically, if we look at our God who is sovereign, we say, you know what, we don't have to evangelize, we don't have to tell God's story, because whoever's going to get saved is going to get saved. Well, that's probably true. That probably is. But I also know this, is that we have an opportunity and a privilege to be able to tell God's story and help people come into the grace of God. That's what we have. So, is God sovereign? Yes. Will all that need to get saved get saved? My guess is yes, because God will do that. He'll draw himself, you know. But do I need to be obedient and listen to him and tell my God story? Yes, I do. Okay, I do. And it's all, it's all there. And likewise, will the church of Christ grow? Yes, it will. Will God's kingdom move forward? Yes, it will. Because it's not dependent on me. But there also is a dependence on me and a privilege that I get to be part of this unbelievable movement. And I think that's really what Paul was saying. Paul was saying both. He's going, you know what? We have an amazing message of grace. I'm an ambassador of grace. I want you to be able to pour into people. I want you to be able to give it away. I want you to be able to find out folks. I want you to think four generations down. Who can you pour into? Who can you share? Who can, who can you help understand this gospel of grace, Timothy? And again, we can look at this and, and really say, well, you know what, that's kind of a pastor's job, or that's kind of this. And I, I just don't see it as a pastor's job. I, I just don't. I think all the opportunities I've had with working with people in youth ministry was kind of funny. Um, I, I met with Chris Hill just a few days ago, and we were talking with some of the guys that we used to work with over in the Arlington days. Uh, and I could say the names, and some of you would know who these names are. But Chris said, that was my group. I said, yeah, well, I had an opportunity last weekend to spend time with two of them. And we just kind of thought where everything was, what God was doing in their lives, and even as we follow up with them now to see what God's doing in their lives. It's kind of cool. Now, I don't know where that's going to go. I don't. But I know because Chris Hill pick and put hours and hours and hours and hours into these three guys, well, more than these three, but these three that I was talking about, um, that we're going to be able to go back and, and talk through some things and see where they are in life. Because realistically, could have been a great program back then. They could have had a great time and they could have great stories. But if they're not passing it on right now, that, that still concerns us and we still want to walk with these guys in this area. That's kind of cool. All right. We certainly didn't get to um, where I was hoping to get. Um, but we, Jim, Jim is already there in, in, in the soldier and the, in the farmer thing, so I'm pretty encouraged there. And we're going to try to move just a little faster next time because I think it will be important for us to get those, those things, at least understanding those things together. So my, uh, my hope is you guys keep reading, all right? And we're going to keep looking at this, but if you can read this next section with the idea like this, saying, what is a faithful servant? What are some characteristics of a faithful servant? What is someone that Paul is saying, you know, and my guess is, Paul is saying, Timothy, you're not there yet. Or if you were there, you're sliding. Or you forgot some of the basics. Remember, again, why are the Cubs doing so well right now? I think this old coach came in and said, we're going to go back to some basics, and, and he had the authority to make them do it. Okay, that, A lot of people talk about basics and so on. But I think Paul's doing the same thing. He's going, you know what, Timothy? You know this stuff. But I'm going to go back to some of the basics of this whole pastor thing. Okay? And, and we're going to talk about this at, at the ground level and see what happens. So that's what we're going to do next week. Uh, again, for those that can't catch up or whatever, um, we're, 
I'll, I'll pass out or I'll send you some of the the, um, the address where the podcasts are, um, and you can kind of keep up with us if, if something happens like that. And uh, let's pray. Father, I just thank you again for this group, and we pray, dear Jesus, that your word will continue to strengthen, empower, and and give us um, just a greater understanding of who you are, and that your spirit would be so um, convicting and encouraging, and and we would we would love the journey that you've given us. We pray that would happen, Lord. We do know realistically that there's some discouragement. And, and life is hard and reality sometimes hits us in a very uh, ruthless way. So we pray, Father, that our perspective would come from you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you.